Kia ora, I'm Brooke Roberts, one of the co-founders of Sharesies. The Payoff is a brand new podcast series. Retirement might be retiring from a job, but it doesn't mean retiring from life. We're talking KiwiSaver. It's really important to be savvy about what's going on here. Find The Payoff on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Kia ora, welcome to Shared Lunch, brought to you by Sharesies with Business Desk. My name is Leighton Roberts and I'm one of the co-founders and co-CEOs at Sharesies. Today uh, we thought it was time that we brought you a little bit about the property market, uh, particularly uh, this close post-election, and who better to analyse this than independent economist Tony Alexander. Thank you so much for joining us, Tony. Yeah, no worries, Leighton. Thanks for having us on again. Great to have you. Just before we get into some some material, we're going to start with some important information. Investing involves risk. You might lose the money you start with. We recommend talking to a licensed financial advisor. We also recommend reading product disclosure documents before deciding to invest. Everything you're about to see and hear is current at the time of recording. Well, look, uh, Tony, thanks for joining us. I'm excited for this conversation today. Uh, Everyone knows how close to the heart property is for New Zealanders. And uh, as a homeowner, I'm pretty interested to hear what what you're up to as well. And uh, it's, you know, it's right on everyone's tongues at the moment. Conversations around what's happening with their interest rates, uh, that ties into cost of living and all that thing stuff, of course. But look, we're we're still a few days away from confirming the coalition government. But uh, it's, you know, we think there'll be changes and it's likely that some of that's going to relate to housing in particular and with some of what's being proposed there uh, and we're pretty interested to see how we think that's going to impact both buying and selling in the market. Uh, we know it's been pretty quiet, quite the lull there coming to election which is pretty normal um, but interested to see how that normalises from here. So uh, if we can just start Tony with you, um, talking, uh, we'll start with demand and what are the indications that you're seeing in the market at the moment with regards to demand and whether there's any coming back or if, uh, if we're still waiting for some certainty there? Yeah, well, the main thing when it comes to talking about the demand is earlier this year in February, we saw the first home buyers were coming back strongly into the market. They've been sitting on the sidelines for a couple of years, uh, watching prices fall, uh, initially watching them soar through the roof in 2021 and sort of getting out of control there. And then interest rates were high, etc. But earlier this year, they while they didn't really react much to the interest rate changes, they could see the listings numbers were very high. There really were many other buyers um, in the market markets, uh, they had wages growth, they had jobs, you know, feeling secure about that. So the key point so far for this year has been first home buyers moving into the market with increasing numbers from uh, February. And then ahead of the election, we've been seeing prices rising. So we've got about four months worth of prices going up now. We've seen sales firming as well. And the point I've been making to the first home buyers has been, you know, there's a point at, uh, at which maybe the investors will come back into the market. And that now is the second interesting thing we're seeing happening um, this year. The investors are starting to step forward. I found some who were ahead of the election, but most were going, yeah, nah, I'm going to wait and see what this outcome is going to be. And now it's going to be a um, national-dominated government. Um, I can definitely see from my surveys, especially one I've just conducted there, that the investors are looking at getting back um, in the market. So my my main comment uh, that I'd make now is the one I've been making for over a year, that uh, young buyers have had a window of opportunity to make a purchase without much uh, competition out there. That window is now in the process of closing with the other buyers coming along. 
Yeah, interesting. I've got a few friends, first-home buyers at the moment, looking. And uh, it, it's funny, you know, as a first-home buyer, it's such a daunting prospect buying a house for the first time and uh, remember that really well myself but it doesn't seem to be you know, there's never any winners in it you know like um, before it was you couldn't get the deposit to the point or the banks weren't going to be lending because of LVRs or anything like that uh, and, and now there's real fear around the interest rates and thinking you know shoot am I going to have to end up here uh, at 6 or 7% interest rates where my friends were paying 2% when they got into it so have you got any sort of thoughts for those first home buyers and how they weigh up those things or uh, you know how do you normally share that with people? Yeah, yeah. Well, the first point to note is that it's never an easy time when you're a first-home buyer. It's always the biggest purchase that you've ever made. It's always uh, difficult. These days, we tend to describe things as being in crisis, but quite frankly, things were pretty tough. Like back in 1987, when I made my first uh, home purchase, uh, one month before the share market crash, unfortunately, uh, at 18.5% interest rate. So the price, definitely lower. Up until 1992, the average ratio of house prices to incomes in New Zealand was three. So think of your average yeah. income, house price was three that, times that. Now you're looking at seven, eight, nine times that. So the price relative to people's income has definitely changed. But of course, interest rates are much lower. And even at the moment, you know, you might pay seven, 7.3% or so. Uh, well, it's not the 18.5% back then. And with regard to the comparison of their, their friends who borrowed at 2 or 3%, um, etc., well, first of all, most of them now uh, have rolled on to 7% because they didn't do what I was saying so strongly in the second half of 2020 and first half of 2021, which was lock in five years at 299 and I didn't say that because I had a view that interest rates were going to go up. It was more just seriously, mate, this is the lowest interest rate we've ever seen. Not a single sane person thought we'd get this low. At some stage, they're going to go higher. And what I actually advise people to do at the moment when you're trying to get a feel for, is this a reasonable interest rate or not? Get yourself a graph of the interest rates, completely block out just get your white pen or whatever and block out 2019, 20 and 2021. Take out those three years when interest yeah. rates were unusually low because you're not going to see that return again unless you've got A, worries about deflation in New Zealand, prices falling, cost of living going down, and B, a global pandemic. Ignore interest rates over that three-year period. Yeah, nice. I, I was in the um, in a, my previous job. I used to run the home loan book for Kiwi Bank, and uh, I was there actually when we bought in the first five point nine nine interest rate, and that was a massive thing. Like it was a stressful pricing committee getting people across that line. It was like these were unheard of, and then of course we got to the four point nine nines. I was gone by the time they were doing two point nine nines and all this sort of stuff for five years. But um, it, it's funny how quickly you adjust your your normal, isn't it? You know, it's like all right, well this is normal now. And, exactly. Uh, that, that's a good point, uh, just jumping in here. Adjusting to normal. We are humans. We adapt to changing circumstances. And this is where you see people talking about, oh, interest rates are high, it's troubling. Well, as each month goes by, more and more people start thinking, maybe 7% is the new normal. How do I make these numbers work? So monetary policy can actually lose its effectiveness in suppressing the, the economy as each month goes by. People think it's the opposite, but no, we adapt. We build up savings. And hey, around the planet, lots and lots of people built up savings. In fact, during the pandemic, you know, we, we couldn't travel internationally. So, you know, yeah. and, and, and we had jobs, et cetera, wage subsidy scheme in New Zealand. So, you know, it didn't really surprise me that we saw the first home buyers buying strongly from early this year. And of course, we've got the 
data from CoreLogic just the other day showing a record 28% of recent property sales were going to first home buyers. So I think the first home buyers, many of them from two to three months ago, got a feeling maybe the writing is on the wall here. There will be more buyers coming back into the market and now the prices are rising got to get in and so i i did an interview with some other crowd the other day and they were saying well so you know are, are the investors going to jump in now some are moving in personally i think it's now going to be the first home buyers pressing the button getting in before that window of opportunity completely uh, completely closes Right. It's such an interesting point you just made there on the uh, the effectiveness of interest rates once you start to think it's normal or, or you know, get, get that uh, impact. And uh, you, you don't really ever hear, you know, when the Reserve Bank comes out, they don't talk a lot about more about the behavioural sides or what the humans... But do you think that's something that's going around the table there when they're thinking about, look, is the OCR really at its peak here? Or do you think there's still some, uh, you know, what's your view on, on where that's heading? And, and also just what goes around, around that table when they're, when they're talking about that? Yeah, well, a lot goes around the table, I would suggest. There are so many uncertain factors in play uh, these days. I, I'd suggest there's not a single person can sort of sit down in whatever their economy is and say, this is what we really think is going to happen. This, we're really confident this is going to be the outcome. In fact, when I give uh, talks you know, around the country, I spend a lot of time saying, do not expect whatever forecast you are making at the moment that they will prove correct in 6, 12, 18, 24 months' time. And here's yeah. a list of reasons why your your predictions will be wrong. Write down these reasons because you can drag them out again in 12, 18, 24 months' time and say to your boss, say to your spouse, you know, um, well, it's no surprise that we got this wrong. Look at what this bloke said. We can't predict. Look at all these uncertain factors. And not a single one of us knows what's going to happen in the Middle East, for instance. Uh, what that does to oil prices, hang on, that means inflation, but it might mean a world recession. Hang on, what does that mean for interest rates? They look like they're going to go up and then they're going to go down. So in this sort of environment, if one is looking at do, you know, making a purchase or you've got your, your previously low fixed rate coming up for renewal, you know, don't completely discount going slightly longer towards two, maybe even three years uh, fixing because, frankly, no one's really had their interest rate forecast right on this planet since about 2007, I'd say. You've probably touched on it now, but I saw a graph the other day, I think it was CoreLogic one as well, showing the difference between uh, house prices following newer national government versus new Labour government in the, a pretty quick. Within three to four months, there was uh, quite a pronounced um, house price increase, you know, assumed delivered off, delivered off demand there. But um, just interested what you think now coming into the Christmas and the, the, um, the summer season uh, and also how much of that is down to the likelihood now that we've got a, a National Act government. Yeah, well, well, first of all, investors coming back into the market because when we saw on March 23, 2021, uh, the finance minister announce the tax changes, uh, interest expense deductibility disappearing for investors, the investors as buyers ran for the hills. They were out of there. There has been no wave of investor selling. There has not been dumping of property on the market, but the investors as buyers basically um, disappeared. So we have to expect that as interest expense deductibility comes back, even if it's not fully back 100% until the middle of 2026, the investors will step back in as buyers. So yeah. A, there is that demand coming along. B, however, there's also going to be uh, some extra sellers. Um, I do a monthly uh, survey uh, of existing property investors with uh, Crocker's property management uh, uh, people. And I did the survey last week. I can definitely see an impact in there on investor behavior. 
media uh, from the election uh, outcome. And one of the interesting uh, uh, outcomes that I can see is there's an increase in investors saying, I'm going to sell in order to buy another property. And that's basically gone up sharply. So there are actually going to be more investors thinking, okay, if this two-year Brightline test now comes back from 10 years, finally I can switch my properties around and get rid of this meth house right. I've been trying to do up for the past you know, three years or so. So they'll, they'll sell and they'll make a purchase. So for real estate agents, it is going to uh, get busier. Having said that, I've got, I guess, a personal view on activity going into Christmas, New Year. My, my feeling for the country overall is just, we're just over it. We're battered. We're in this post-pandemic environment of the high interest rates, the cost of living, the election, many things in crisis, bad news overseas. I've got this view that many of us, with the election gone, we're going to leap straight to, oh, it's almost Christmas. Oh, thank goodness, it's the end of, of, of the year. I can partly gauge this by the number of emails I receive, the number of people clicking through to my regular you know, weekly publication, etc. A lot of people have turned off. So I don't think it's going to be a boom in real estate turnover heading into summer. A lot of people, I think, are going to look to take a break, turn the brain off as early as humanly possible. Yeah, <laughs> interesting. Uh, the interest rate deductibility. Do you have a sense of how much that changes the numbers for investors on the on the affordability? Yeah, I don't look at these things in detail myself, but it clearly changed the numbers if we look at the strong reaction of the investors disappearing from the market in um, end yeah. of March uh, 2021. So they'll come back back in. Um, I think. In the combination with the high interest rate, so if we were still in a lowish interest rate environment, let's say you know five percent for mortgage rates, then maybe not a great level of impact. But you put seven, seven and a half percent mortgage interest rates in there with the removal of the interest expense deductibility, and the numbers yet do not work out for a lot of investors out there. They haven't wanted to sell into a weak market. Now the market is picking up. Some will have already made the decision of maybe the rules change again in the future. We're going to look at some diversification. So out of this, I do expect to see some people looking maybe to move into you know diversified equities um, or something like that, where you don't tend to get these rule changes because one day National will be voted out, Labor will be back in, the rules will probably change again. And so that has to factor into you know, people's long-term property considerations, especially as most investors, they're, they're not flippers, they're in there for the long term. So they're going to have to factor that potential change in, who knows, three, six, nine years down the track. Yeah, we've also got the sort of 39% tax bracket there for the first time as well, which will be impacting a lot of them too, right? Like, you know, previously around this deductibility, the rate was probably lower, but um, although I'm sure there's a lot in trusts and stuff, but it is... Um, it's just, just really interesting to see how quickly the sentiment on that changes as well. And I hadn't really thought so much about the uh, the ability to get out, right? It's not, you're right, the numbers show that most investors are there for the long time, long term, but the fact that you can get out in two years and not need to pay a capital return still does change your thinking quite a lot on... For, for some of them, yes. Like I say, for real estate agents, there will be some more listings coming forward. But again, my warning to first-home buyers is uh, don't think there's going to be a listings rush out there. The housing market is now rising. In a rising market, uh, why would you be in a hurry to sell? The upward leg of the house price cycle in New Zealand tends to last for maybe five to six years. I mean, that doesn't mean it peaks strongest rate of growth in five or six years, but prices tend to go up over that uh, period of time. We are now, uh, what, late October, only into month five. Month five of the upward leg of the house price cycle. 
if yeah. I happen to have um, you know properties, if, if I were an investor, I would not personally feel in a hurry to sell. I'd wait, especially because of the other factor we haven't even talked about yet, sort of two things out there. Number one, there's a population boom in New yeah. Zealand. The migrants coming in, it doesn't mean the migrants are buying houses, but it means the existing tenants are having increasing difficulty finding properties. Landlords, uh, they are at a record level of easiness of finding good tenants. They can pick and choose. Uh, from my survey, I can see extra upward pressure starting to appear on the rents. So a population boom, pushing rents up, push prices up. B, house construction is falling and likely will continue to do so through to uh, early 2025. And C, at some point, interest rates will go down, maybe second half of 2024, slowly. But we've got house prices rising with interest rates high, with interest rates having increased over the past six months. It shows yeah. some of the strength of the underlying other factors. Yeah, so one of the big uh, drivers, and you have, have touched on it there, but um, uh, lots of those levers, but of course under National's plan, uh, they're keen to bring back some uh, foreign buyer uh, with some foreign investors. Uh, one of the, just interested in your view with New Zealand First, if they do end up um, being part of this government, and they, that's something they've been quite against. Uh, you know, what, what do you think sort of levers they have there? Is that something you expect to go away, or do you think that's a firm part of the plan? Yeah, no, I would say that that will probably get across the line, that we probably yeah. will see foreign buying, you know, beyond Australians and Singaporeans uh, who can still do the buying, uh, for properties $2 million and over, and, and the national government attempt to collect, I think it was, their $740 million worth of revenue a, a year. Uh, um, as I've been saying to people over the past uh, couple of months, when you go to watch a movie or a, a play, um, you, you engage in something, I think it's called a willing suspension of disbelief. You watch the movie, you know there's not really a spaceship, you know this person can't really fly in an iron suit, but you suspend your disbelief. And that's how I think we approach elections. We know they're not going to collect $700 million, but hey, what the heck. And and for Labour, well, it's not going to cost only $300 million for free dental care for you know 29-year-olds and this sort of, sort of thing. Um, but the tax change, uh, it's not really relevant to first-time buyers. Not many first-time buyers out there looking for a $2.1 million uh, uh, property. Uh, it's relevant for the upper end of the, the market, um, but but as I think CoreLogic may have estimated, there's only about 55,000 houses in New Zealand priced at over $2 million. So, you know, we're not talking, I think, about a large a large impact on the market overall. Not, re not really relevant for your, for your younger buyer. Well, something that might be then is the uh, national, uh, Andrew Bailey, I think, has the policy where he said that he wants to roll back some of the triple CFA role, uh, rules. So triple CFA, the uh, Consumer Credit Contracts. Credit Contracts Act. and Consumer Finance yeah, Act, I think. That, yep. that one, yep. There's got my three C's in the wrong way. Um, do you think that's likely to impact the way the banks are lending at all and, and maybe give some um, further relief for, uh, for first-home buyers? Yeah, it depends on how much tweaking they do. If they said we're scrapping the changes in the triple CFA that happened in 2021 and we're going back to the way we were, I have to say this is going to lead to extra credit being made available because when those changes came in effective December 1, 2021, it had an impact which none of us beyond the banks themselves had anticipated. At the select committee hearings in the middle of 2021, the banks were making it clear to the MPs on the committee there what the impact was going to be. Credit would cease flowing to a lot of people and the MPs didn't appreciate that. David Seymour belatedly said he heard it all and sort of didn't believe it and sort of missed out what they were saying. So you have to think if there is a wholesale switching around of the triple CFA rules, more credit will flow. 
to first home buyers, owner occupiers, um, investors generally. Um, and and for the banks, if they're favouring borrowers, then it is first home buyers. It's not really the investors at the moment. And so I'd suspect any triple CFA changes will have a greater impact on making house purchase more readily available to investors out there, as opposed to the young buyers, maybe even the owner occupiers to some degree as well. But um, it's it's pretty vague as to what the changes would actually be. Uh, I don't suspect it's going to be necessarily a priority for them, but it would be one of the factors I would put on my list I've been highlighting for quite some time now. This is why house prices are going to rise over the next three, four, five years or whatever. Population, one day interest rates fall, falling construction, uh, increasing materials uh, prices, etc. And of course, maybe a tweak, well, of some degree on the triple CFA. Yeah, and just um, out of interest, because often we can, you know, we do a lot of comparison between towns, you know, Wellington, Auckland, Christchurch, where you know, within New Zealand as well. But you hear less and less about comparisons over to Sydney, which uh, and Melbourne and these places where I imagine there's a lot more houses uh, than fifty odd thousand over the two million dollar price point. Um, yeah. And and of course we're not far away. So how how do you bring in Australia to your assessment when you're looking at that as well, and um, at where house prices are going to be heading? Yeah, don't. <laughs> uh, don't. Yeah. It's a red herring. Um, whenever house prices are high in New Zealand, rising strongly, uh, we get people looking at studies of, look how expensive New, Ze- New Zealand is with overseas. We're stupid. It's, it's crazy here. How's a young person going to afford a house, etc.? I'm out of here, man. I'm going to Sydney. Well, why aren't you going to Suva? where it could be cheaper as, as, as well. So I'll throw that, that in there. There's always a cheap location. If you want a cheap house in New Zealand, go to the west coast of the South Island. Um, beautiful location. And uh, I think the median price is about 350000 Now, um, with already one child in Perth, another one shooting off to Melbourne, don't know where the other one's going to end up. There's five all told, told there. Um, I, yeah, they have no idea that when you shift from New Zealand to Australia, what the tax rates are. Uh, what rate of increase in wages is going to be, uh, what the house prices are, insurance costs, nothing like that. It's simply the big bright lights and you're going to going to go there. Uh, and that's the attraction, I think, to people. I don't think many people are going to do a comparison of how much will it cost to buy a house in New Zealand versus Sydney, Melbourne or, or Brisbane. That's why I'm going to move um, across there because I, I spent quite a bit of time in, uh, in Australia now and I can assure you that uh, there is massive discussion over there about rising uh, house prices. They've already increased 5% plus in your Sydney uh, and maybe a couple of the other capitals um, so far from early this year. Their markets in Australia turned in February, Canada turned in February as well. We turned in about uh, June with prices rising um, in, in New Zealand. So yeah, be careful of the international comparisons. I don't think it drives the market here in, in, in New Zealand uh, at all. Look at New Zealand specific factors. And while with this discussion we're having right now, one might be thinking, okay, look at all these Kiwis disappearing to Australia. Isn't that going to depress the housing market? It's a numbers game. And with a net migration gain in the past year of 110,000 people, what, what is that, uh, 2.1% of the population or something? Duh. It's obvious what it does to rents, property availability, house prices. Yeah, it's a big number, isn't it? Yeah. Um, just to, back to talking about uh, people with home loans at the moment, how many of them have we still got to see? You know, I, I suspect a lot of them are through the pay now. By that, I mean... They're on to the 6 or 7%, but how, how's that rolling of the book looking? There'll be some smart yeah. people on that five-year 299 still 
still happily patting themselves on the back. I'm not one of them, but... Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, there are a few out there. Not not many. Uh, we Kiwis, <laughs> we tend to fix at whatever term is the cheapest, by and large. So that's why I'm not overly critical of people who uh, took the candy and are locked in for one year at you know, 229 or so back in um, you know, late 2020, 2021. There's still a few left. I haven't looked at the numbers recently myself, but there are still a number of people, and they, they're not now rolling off 229 to seven they are now rolling off maybe four four and a half five percent onto seven seven point three so there is still some restraint that is uh, going to come along um, generally on consumer spending but remember these are people who already have mortgages they are not fresh buyers so this doesn't really this rolling into higher rates have an impact on what we've been talking about earlier in terms of going into Christmas and next year overall demand for for properties uh, out there it's more just the cash availability for people um, uh, uh, generally and you know the labor market is certainly more in favor of employers now they can do a bit more picking and choosing but overall job security I'd perceive is still pretty good there for most people and as more people roll into higher rates, a bit of extra restraint on household spending, not really an increase in mortgage sales to any great degree out there. There is still a bit more pain to come for consumer spending from people who have used up savings that were built up during the pandemic. This receives a lot more attention, especially in America and Australia. Um, numbers in New Zealand are sort of hard to come by, but a lot of those savings have probably all been used up now. And this will be one of the things the Reserve Bank discusses, as we were saying earlier, around the table. How much extra pain is still to come along um, from you know these people basically a rolling a few more into higher rates uh, out there and having used up their savings etc. Yeah, there is a um, a pretty good portion of well nowhere near as as big as on the debt side of it, but a portion of people that we haven't heard a lot about in the, uh, in the news and stuff at the moment, which are the people who are now all of a sudden receiving five or six percent for their um, deposits that are you know sitting in the bank and uh, where they were probably bloody close to nothing, excuse the yep. language there, um, not so long ago. So have you got any data on those people and what they're doing with that money, or have we just got some people who are accumulating at the moment? Yeah, not much data at all. You'd have to think for a lot of people, if they're in that situation, they will be obviously older, uh, they'll be a bit more cautious, they'll be thinking about uh, maybe, like I say, diversifying, they might want to get some equities, etc. But of course, we've got a lot of uncertainty in the equities markets at the moment, where it's like, you know, you open up the news in the morning, uh, ha have the Israelis gone into Gaza Strip? What's going to be the reaction? Are we going to see oil embargoes? Now, there's two generations out there, maybe don't know what I'm talking about there. But in the 1970s, there was an embargo on shipping of the oil out to the uh, west there as a result of you know, uh, a conflict in the uh, Middle East, etc. And the price of oil quadrupled over 1973-74. And then again, it about doubled with the Iranian revolution in 78 or 79. And that's when you got your carless days, etc. Uh, terrible economic policies and all this in New Zealand. So, you know, that major uncertain factor does still sit out there. And I guess that says to me that for a lot of people, people who will have money sitting on term deposit at the moment, they may want to diversify into some other things, but there's no great push factor at the moment because they're getting five, five and a half or 5.7 percent, um, et cetera, uh, out there. And there is still a lot of un uncertainty. What that means is one day when the uncertainty is less, there will be a, you know, obviously a reaction in the equity markets uh, fr uh, from that. But uh, yeah, a lot of people just sitting there and the rule of thumb is when you're doing well, be quiet. 
It's like the farmers know this in New Zealand. If you're doing well, the prices are high, the currency's low, the weather's good. Just take photos so you can remember it during the bad times um, and be quiet. But when tough times come along, remind people in New Zealand where the ultimate driver of our economy comes from. We might wrap up about here. I think, Tony, this has been amazing um, and super insightful, but... Uh, Maybe I'll just ask you to recap quickly uh, if there was one takeaway from the episode that you think that investors need to know um, mm. from what you've shared, to, shared with us today, what do you think that would be? Yeah, yeah. my main takeaway would be I've been pointing out for over a year that the list of factors going to push house prices up is uh, longer and stronger than the list of uh, factors pushing them down. Completely ignore talk about it's unaffordable. Look at New Zealand compared with overseas. Uh, that is an outcome of all the economic factors, but not a driver of where the housing market is going to go. House prices in New Zealand, they usually have upward legs on the house price cycle of five to six years. We're into month five. So we are going to see prices rise, especially as we continue to get strong migration flows by the looks of it. Interest rates one day falling as well. And like I say, just remember, house construction is actually falling at the moment. So go back to your um, sixth form, what's that, year 12 or year 13 economics text or first year economics 101 and resurrect uh, your knowledge of supply and demand curves. So this is the ultimate comment and move the demand curve because of population growth. Shift the supply curve the other way because of less growth in house supply. See what it does to the price equilibrium point. It puts it, it, puts it that way. And that window of opportunity for a lot of first-home buyers to make a, a purchase, it is closing. Hey, there's a good six months left maybe. But uh, yeah, yeah, watch out. The investors are coming back into the market. Very helpful. Thank you, Tony. Um, funny how you can bring it back to ultimately quite a simple principle that a lot of us learned in early economics, right? Supply and demand. And, and fundamentally, five or six years ago, pre-pandemic and pre, um, you know, uh, some, some war and stuff like that, um, pre-inflation, uh, that was the same thing. The fact that we've got more people coming into New Zealand than we have going out and than we have houses for Right, we're going to uh, wrap it up there. So thank you so much, everyone, for tuning in. Uh, you can watch Shared Lunch on YouTube or follow us on um, the podcast on Apple, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, leave us a five-star rating and a comment with who and what you'd like to hear about. Uh, business Desk is offering Sharesies Investors free access to its business news service until the 30th of November this year. Uh, that's getting pretty close, so get onto it. But um, to start reading breaking news, analysis and commentary on a wide range of topics uh, for free, uh, follow the link in our description. You need to be a new Business Desk subscriber and use the link provided to take up this offer. From December, you can continue at a discounted annual rate and receive a complimentary full subscription to the Wall Street Journal. And there's lots of interesting news happening over there at the moment. Um, so thank you, everyone. Enjoy the rest of your week. Kia ora, I'm Brooke Roberts, one of the co-founders of Sharesies. The Payoff is a brand new podcast series where you'll hear from experts and everyday New Zealanders about their experiences when it comes to putting money away for their future. Retirement might be retiring from a job, but it doesn't mean retiring from life. We're talking KiwiSaver. If you knew the difference in life you could live by having KiwiSaver, I think we'd have a lot more conversations about it. Find The Payoff on Apple, Spotify, iHeartRadio or wherever you get your podcasts.